Hey, Simon, did you just use the last egg? Yeah, I did. That's that's funny, man. What are you going to do with that egg carton? Oh, yeah, no, just recycle it. Actually, bro, do you mind if I, if I grab that? I might keep it in my shed, you know, just in case. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the three views on podcast, the penultimate season. Season number five. <laughs> Hashtag Groovio Podcast. <laughs> That's right. And we're up to episode number three now. Uh, week week three of the Log Cabin. It's getting hard. It's getting hot in here. I miss you know my what the, wife. You know what the lyric of the song is, Simon? What's the lyric what's the, the next li- What's the next line? It's getting hot in here, so... No, I don't I'll know. give you a hint. We've done this every day in, in the group setting <laughs> since we arrived. <laughs> I don't. So take off all your clothes. All right. Oh, is yep. It? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. Yeah. Good. I thought I'd been drugged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the log cabin, it's going well. I mean, this is what community is all about. Yep. We Living... spent a great day yesterday. We cut a window in the side of the log cabin. Well overdue. There was grime on the floor from the sweat. And we decided it's about time we had a window in we this cabin. We need ventilation. Mm. It's good. good. Yeah, that's it. And um, we also practiced cannulating each other, which was a bit weird. We did. Look, we one of the things we decided when we set out for the trip is that part of it would be spending some time honing a skill and teaching that skill to each other. So one yeah. of the skills that I have is cannulation, and we decided that'd be that's something we can teach and, yeah, and learn. Especially Paul, because you know that's something he would never get the opportunity to learn otherwise. So that's right. That was no. pretty cool. What What was your favourite thing about learning to cannulate, Paul? Well, I mean, you know, when you're just sitting there and you think, oh boy, I would feel better, but I feel like I've just got way too much blood in my system. Mm, yes, hemochromatosis. You know, you want to vent your blood. Um, you obviously know all about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, it's a very frequent feeling for me, actually, Simon, just wanting oh. to get a bit of blood out of the system, release the pressure. Yeah, so a bit of bad I, blood. I now can do that. <laughs> oh, good. Now I can do that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, we were using the uh, the new Intracan catheters, uh, cannulas, which have the amazing... <laughs> well, it is. It's we, an intravenous it is, catheter. It is, it's catheter. That's the term they use. Has that got anything to do with taking a wee? No. We, we do call the catheter. things that are used to drain bladders catheters as well. But that's an indwelling urinary catheter yep. or a suprapubic indwelling catheter. The term, the term catheter, I think, just means tube. Yeah, pretty much. Ah, uh, mm. yes. I don't actually know why we call them cannulas either. That's... It's I mean, Latin. Either. It's Latin. It'll Latin. be Latin somewhere. Latin for catheter. When I get home, I'll ask spell. Lucinda. Yeah. But it'll be too late because we can't tell the podcast because the podcast will be over yep. by the time we I get home. We will finish the podcast. We've only got one more week booked in this log cabin, we guys. We've got to sort ourselves one out. We haven't week. actually said anything yet. No. We've mm. got a far... I mean, people understand, but if you're late to the party, we booked a log cabin retreat. I mean, albeit we put a, should have probably put in more cash because it's a pretty budget little cabin. But we booked one month to do one podcast episode a week oh, we to didn't... finish this podcast for good. Well, we would have had a better cabin if we'd actually stayed in Tasmania instead of flying to South America. I mean, but I mean, all the, you the, blew the budget on the flight. It was unnecessary Paul. costly. It yeah. was, but the, I mean, just let's be quiet for one second. That silence. You don't get that anywhere else in the world. No, no. you don't. Especially not in Longford. No, you know? never. <laughs> it's not a silence that could be achieved in Longford. No. And I'll tell you what that sound, that sound of nature sounds like. It sounds faintly like the hum of an air conditioner humming along at 21 degrees <laughs> Just Celsius. Very Funny thing, you're going to hit me, but in PNG, oh, when we, Simon, <laughs> when we got into, it in. into John and Janet's house, they have the river runs right next to their house and there are two lots of rapids. Mm. Um, 
and we're lying in bed and it sounds like there's an air conditioner on in the house. The no rapids <laughs> sounds exactly like Did a you fan jump or in the river aircon. at any point? Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful swimming river. That's awesome. Yeah, that would yeah. be a really convenient answer for the sound of the air conditioner, except we already said that there is no lake nor rapids around our log cabin. There's a hum- hummingbird, South uh, American hummingbird. Yep. Yes. That's right. Of course. Mm. But they've, got a, they've got a very constant wing flight. They do. There's speed. millions of them. I mean, it's just, it's so pleasant to sit out on the porch and just watch. And just close your eyes and think that there's air conditioning on. Mm. Yeah. Definitely makes it seem cooler. It's been about 41 degrees mm. most days yes. in the morning, in That's the shade. Why a window was essential. We cut, did cut out a window. Um, so what are we talking about today, fellas? Well, I think we hinted in the beginning is uh, if you're a long-time fan of the podcast, you will know that Paul is a bit of a minimalist. Uh, but what we've discovered over the course of these last three weeks is I think I think Paul's becoming a bit of a maximalist. I've left behind those shameful ways. Yeah, I was looking at our stats on, uh, on Podbean the other day and it said that uh, our number one episode... On uh, on Spotify has been the minimalism episode, and I told Paul, and I thought he'd be really pleased, but he was like, "Oh man, we need to recant. We need to take all that back." So, what's brought you to that? It's Paul? no longer fitting for me to have my name attached to that principle. Oh, look, boys, let me let me unpack this. So, I still do imbibe a lot of those same principles, right? But I think the f- designation of minimalism is unnecessarily provocative. Indeed, it might even be unhelpful because what it is, it it gives you this idea of what you're aiming in at. You want to be a single person sitting cross-legged on their hardwood floor (laughs) eating with their one spoon or their spork some Weepix, you know? No, no, eating with your Swiss army knife. Yeah, that's exactly right. That has a spoon in it. Yeah. and that's a necessarily a very unhelpful mental image. Yeah. What I like, what I have sort of come to embrace is essentialism. Right. So you could have a whole garage full of stuff. So my father-in-law lives on kind of a homestead. He has a garage full of stuff, all these different things that I would never need a day in my life. But here's the thing. He needs them. Yeah. So his ascent, we, we might both actually be practicing the same philosophy essentialism yeah i see what you mean but what i need Mm. for my suburban block is very different from what he needs for his homestead yeah now i do think though what we need to do is we still need to be rigorous when allowing things into our life i still do think we need Mm. to be asking more questions otherwise you can get that steady incoming tide of stuff you always are adding new things and you're never taking anything away and you slowly drown in your own house surrounded by knickknacks but I do think that we have cause to be intentional, not minimal. And I like, I think that distinction is essential. So you would say you're an intentionalist, intentionalist, intentionalist. rather than a, a maximalist. Indeed. I mean, look, and here's how the rubbers hit the road. I now own, see, it was very easy to be a minimalist when I was living in a unit on Churchill Avenue in Sandy mm. Bay with no land. It was yeah. a one bedroom unit. I didn't need to do anything. Now we've moved house. All of a sudden, we think, okay, so we need to paint the house, which mm. is what we're doing at the moment. I mean, do we sell the painting stuff when we're done or do we keep it for five years' time when we paint the house? Mm. All right, we keep it. But we've also got to varnish the wooden floors. 
All right, sure. But we also got to, you know, what do we do then with the sanders? What do we do then with the mower and the whippersnipper and the wheelbarrow and the spade and yeah. all this stuff? Yeah. How many pairs of pants do you own at the moment? Still only two. Okay. So, I mean, my, my wardrobe really hasn't changed. Okay. Um, as to much to, yeah, Elby's disappointment. She's <laughs> trying, to, trying to get me to use new clothes. But, I mean, I still like that idea. I still like the idea. One of the nuts. See, what you can do, fellas. Let me encourage you. Look at minimalism. Take two or three of the best teachings mm. and then jettison the rest. Just jettison it. Like the, one of the things I like is it takes science. There have been studies recently showing that we have limited amounts of willpower. Mm-hmm. So they do a study saying getting you to exert an amount of willpower. And then there's a control group who don't have to exert any willpower. Mm-hmm. And then they get both groups to do a test that does involve willpower. And ultimately, the, the control group who've had no strenuous act- activity can last longer because it seems like we have a certain reserve of willpower. Mm. So th- the amount of decisions that we have to consciously make decreases that reserve. So I'm all about minimizing the amount of decisions that we have to make every day. Mm. So okay. know what you're going to set out your clothes in the evening, just really simple stuff. Get your coffee ready. You know, yeah. don't don't think which cup am I going to get? What am I going to do? You don't just make life as smooth as you possibly can mm-hmm. um, ahead of time. That's just one of the nuggets. Mm. Yeah, there's there's That's studies have been showing more and more of late that uh, the the culture is being stunted, not by lack of resources anymore, but by abundance and the choice that that brings. And if anything, some of the 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 things that we don't like about the next generation coming up is is less because they've chosen to be that way, but more so because of their freedom of choice and abundance. There was something beautiful about living in the 1800s where you had one job that you could do and that was the job that you did and your father did it and his father did it before him mm. and that was your lot in life. Profession. You were one of the few people who could do that kind of thing. You had that job and that wasn't dissatisfying. If anything, the studies that have been looking into it now have said that it's actually more satisfying. Indeed. Which is crazy. And it's it's interesting, isn't it? We we reach an area now where we have unprecedented levels of quote-unquote freedom. You do no longer have to do what your dad did. No. Or if you're a woman, you no longer have to be a housewife. You have unprecedented levels of freedom, which I don't think, I think unsurprisingly has correlated with unprecedented levels of discontentment with life. Mm. I think too much, yeah. too much freedom and you're just like a deer in the headlights and life runs you down. It seems super counterintuitive though, because I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot in the medical world is about this huge idea of autonomy and how maintaining and protecting a person's autonomy and Mm -hmm. right to make decisions and choose is super important. And so now, as we're thinking more and more about this, this this idea of autonomy is actually kind of being challenged, that maybe it's actually not the best thing for someone to be able to have full access to full choice. Totally, totally. And I think, look, can I land this on a gospel runway for a second? So I was preaching three weeks ago at Soul Church, mm. um, and I touched on the idea I've of... I've never actually been there, but know well. Know it well, yes. I was touching on the idea of freedom, trying to prove a point. Because many mm. people, if you've been... 
an evangelist for any length of time, and I'm sure you guys have come across this, people have trouble submitting to Jesus because they feel they will have to sacrifice their autonomy, their freedom. Mm. Mm. So the question then is, say I wake up one morning, I've got my little four-cylinder Citroen, Mm. a little European car. I say, you know what? I'm sick of being bound by the rigid restrictions of having to drive on the land. I want to use my Citroen. I want to be free and use it as a submarine. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Well, what's going to happen? Very quickly, I'm going to be far less free. Mm. So the lesson in that is that freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is doing what you were designed to do. Mm. That's true freedom. So my tr- the true freedom of my Citroen is to drive on a road and nowhere else. It might seem on the surface to be restrictive, but that is true freedom. Mm. In a very bizarre coincidence, three weeks ago, I happened to also be preaching at a church. This one was at Deloraine, at Deloraine Gospel Hall, on the topic of freedom. Um, and the analogy I used was of a a young, I told a story to start with about a young fella um, who grew up in a camp, had a very supportive community. Um, people would bring him food and, and share with him and he had you know great things. Both of his parents had died, but the community he had there was great. And then one day someone came in, ripped him out of the camp and took him to a new place and forced him to live their ways. And the way I told the story was in a way to make you think, oh, that's really rough for this kid. Um, but then told the follow-on from the story from another person's point of view, where this kid was in a concentration camp. Both of his parents had been killed by uh, the, the German occupation, and he was living there in a place where he was oppressed and, and, and captured. And then when someone came in and pulled him out of there, they weren't capturing and restricting his freedom, but they were giving him a whole new set of freedom by doing that. And I think the, the problem is that when people see the gospel, they see this idea of being taken away as what they expect is people would say you are now free to do whatever you would like the gospel gives you absolute uh choice in every matter and do whatever you want whereas actually it's 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 a lot more like someone being freed into a new place for a new purpose and i like what you said about purpose and that really uh captures the whole point of what the bible is trying to say yeah is that we were firstly made for a purpose the purpose was frustrated and the whole message of the Bible is how God wishes to um, rescue us to fulfill the purpose he created us for. Yeah. That's, that's very, I mean, if you're looking for a broad sweeping overview of biblical theology. Oh, there are so many more nuances. But that's it. It's God's rescue plan for humanity, mm. isn't it? And because, And we are being rescued because the situation we are in without God is so much less favorable because we are by definition free. I mean, the Christian worldview speaks of this because it looks in the face of freedom and just laughs because it says no one's free. Mm. When you read Romans, you are a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Mm. So you can be a slave to a master who hates you or you can be a slave to your God who created you to know him. Mm. And that to me is a fairly easy choice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I, I really like that idea of purpose and I'm kind of annoyed now that I hadn't stumbled across that earlier. Because that's a really good way of putting it all into perspective. Mm. The idea that there is a created purpose that our freedom then makes sense within. Totally. Because you, I mean, you look, and this is what kind of existentialism is and postmodernism and relativism is saying, effectively, bottom line, you create your own purpose. Mm. 
But that has the allure of freedom. It's got a sort of a, a tang, a taste of freedom on the lips. But what you look around you and see is that people so open-minded that their brain has fallen out. Mm. We're not meant to design our own purpose. We're simply not, we, we are crushed under the weight of that. Yeah. It's no, it's no secret that when these sorts of worldviews started coming into play, the levels of depression, anxiety skyrocketed. And then people do start, and this sort of links into what we were turning to earlier, people do start then turning to fulfillment through career. Mm. Okay, this career is not working, I'll go to another one. Okay, that didn't work, I'll go to another one. Okay, maybe I'm no good at anything. All because their career will crumble under the weight of the satisfaction that they're seeking in it. Mm. Yeah, and I think what people search for most is to find something they can dedicate their life towards. And I think that's why minimalism had such a huge drive for the longest time is because people found something that they could direct their life into. And yeah. that gave them a good purpose. Mm-hmm. It was so, it's so opposite to the culture they were birthed into mm. that it was a huge job to take themselves out of it. And that was a purpose for them yep. until you get to the end. And minimalism in itself is very restrictive. It has nothing to do with freedom. If you think about the what we traditionally talk about freedom as, minimalism laughs in the face of that and says no no no, i want you to be so restrictive you're like a prisoner um (laughs) (laughs) but i I think it's the same with essentialism i think there's a lot of things and i think um the real appeal there is something that calls very deeply to us that there is something about this world that calls us to find a purpose Hmm. yeah i think minimalism effectively the way i understand it now it's a gateway drug so it's, it, it's helpful and it serves a purpose. It's like rehab for a lot of people. So mm. it turns out you're hooked on stuff. That's the drug in this case. And you do your minimalism thing. And for a while, it's great. Because for a while, you realize you just do have a lot of stuff. So you just turf and stuff and your house is looking emptier. And as a result, your mental space is getting clearer. Mm. And it's great. But it only takes so long. And then you're just sitting in your house with nothing in it. And you say, now what? Mm-hmm. You, I literally have nothing else I could throw yeah, away. There's yeah. nothing else. There's nothing else. Um, and I, re- I reach that point. And that's point. supposed to be ultimate happiness. Yeah. And, it, and all it, it's ultimate emptiness. Yeah. Mm. And this is what the minimalism crowd, they acknowledge this. They say it's about creating space for stuff that matters. The fundamental flaw in that is in they are the people who decide what matters. Mm. And that's why they will never be ultimately satisfied. Because we were not meant to create a list of priorities. We were actually meant to, again, there's a groove which humans work in, and that's knowing their creator. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of freedom within that. So you can still be a great graphic designer or filmmaker or tradie Mm -hmm. within that groove. But if you try and hew out your own groove, again, you're just going to go off the rails. Mm. It's not going to work for you. So uh, how long would you have said you're a minimalist for? I would say, so before I got married, a lot of my first fights with LB, mm. first ever fights were about stuff. Yep. It was bordering on a mental illness. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, did I tell you guys a story about the tea, coffee, sugar jars? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I don't, I don't recall. About them being on the bench. Yeah, she, so she had these when we first, because we didn't move in together but, uh, until after we were married. Yep. So we effectively didn't have any fights until after we were married. I didn't want, I hadn't, when I lived there in this place, because I moved into our house about two months before 
we moved into it. Mm, okay. And she had these tea, coffee, sugar jars. And before that, I kept the bench totally clean. Yeah. Like, there was nothing on the bench and nothing on a shelf. Everything was hidden away mm. for the aesthetic of it. Aesthetic of it. Um, and so what then happened is she put a tea, coffee, sugar thing on. And I said, well, look, let's face facts, Elbs. We don't have sugar and we don't drink tea. So they will go in the cupboard and mm. we will keep the coffee one out. But there are three, like a, a set. There's yes. three. They all look the same. It's kind of nice. Um, <laughs> but for some, I couldn't get it through my head that she would, for any reason, want these to be on there when we just weren't going to use them. Mm. Um, so we thought about that. I also thought about the the boiled egg slicer that she wanted to bring in. A boiled I, egg slicer. You know those little things? The, the, it's like a um, three quarters of a rectangle with wire and then you lay your boiled egg in a groove and you draw the metal part over the top of your boiled egg and it slices it. Okay. I, I'd struggle to see the purpose for that. So you have this thing called a knife. Thin, it's just thin blades and you push the egg through it and it slices the whole thing at once. Or you can use a knife and just... Yeah. Yeah, look, let, I mean, let me let you guys in on a small secret. I'm still not the biggest fan of the <laughs> boiled egg slicer. I don't think LB doesn't know that. No, I've made it abundantly clear. <laughs> I mean, that was just, uh, like a second, it's a second fight. But it's in the drawer? Mm. It's still in the drawer? Or does it have pride of place on the mantelpiece? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still there. Um, and I think what it is, I think, is married, and you guys would know this, and listeners who are married would understand this too, it's, just got to, it's all going to be seen through the prism of love. Mm. And that actually makes the doctrine, the teaching of minimalism or now essentialism, far more palatable for your wife. So if I'm some rabid uh, minimalist who's completely moved through, moved past love, I don't have any love and I just want to chuck stuff out, that makes my wife far less likely to want to get engaged in that. Mm. But mm. if I actually put the needs of my wife first and say, you know what, okay, fair enough, we'll have those tea, coffee, sugar containers on the <laughs> bench, you can keep your stupid boiled egg slicer, no problem. <laughs> Elby did turn around and, and throw out a lot of stuff. She has way less stuff now than she's ever had mm. um, since moving out of home. And that's largely because if you're not, if you're not being so hard-nosed about it mm. um, and, and you make it clear that minimalism is not the goal, you actually want to have a, a th kind of a thriving life together mm. and you think there might be some principles from minimalism you can draw into that. It does not make it so rigid. Mm. It's more easily... Appliable. Not so abrasive. Applicable? I mm. know. Oh, this log cabin is getting me down, boys. <laughs> Do you think minimalism tends towards individualism? To a degree. To a degree. But also, I mean, there are helpful parts of minimalism, Michael, which tend towards communal okay. living. Because if, if what we're saying is, all right, I don't want to own so much stuff. So Let's if have I have the neighborhood... Lawnmower. Lawnmower was the example I was going to use. Oh, good. So, um, yeah, so th there's that sort of stuff, mm. which is okay. But I think you want to be... What I respect about people, by and large, the men that I really respect are useful. Mm. So you, they will be able to come around. They, they'll have a trailer or something, or they'll be able to do a tip run for you with a ute, yeah, or okay. they'll be able to tow something, or things such as this. Things that don't actually fit within the bounds of minimalism. Because it turns out, if you wanna if you wanna help people, you gotta own stuff. Mm. One of the most righteous men I know just owns a Ute, and every single time anyone needs moving, he's there. Wow, he's there. He's got his box of rope. 
He's tying mattresses onto the tray of his ute and he's yeah. driving around. Legend. Exactly. And I have yeah. so much respect for that. And that's something I would have laughed at as a minimalist and said, forget about it. Yeah, why do you need a ute? It's not just that fuel scooter. Efficient. <laughs> right. Just catch the bus, you idiot. Um, so I think there are part there. It is a very there are strains of it which can be quite individualistic, hmm. and it, there's a dark sort of competitive edge. Okay, there are who can have the least stuff. There are if you Google it, <laughs> if you were to Google it back when we get into civilization, mm. you'll see um, there are people saying I own 150 things. Here's an inventory of my 100 things. Wow, wow, and they cheat. They've got their seven pairs of undies down as one item or something like this. So, okay. I mean, it's just stupid. It's it's what the rabbis did in the time of Jesus. Yeah. yeah it's okay. a brand new t- kind of yeah. legalism. Yeah. Mm. Okay. You know, um, have you got, I mean, so we discussed minimalism at length. Obviously, it was one of our more popular episodes. Mm. Have you guys adopted any of the principles of, uh, applied it in any way, shape or form? I've always been a little bit on the minimalist side. I've, I just like things to be tidy. And it just, it does give me that mental space. Um, when we got home from PNG, <laughs> every time <laughs> oh, I say that word, Simon. <laughs> all his, his eyebrows go red. <laughs> <laughs> every t- but uh, when we got home, our, we had cleaned the entire house. Everything was tidy. The floor was mopped. And when we got inside, it was just nice. And within like two days, Hazel had like put her books, you know, on the table mm. and there's crumbs on the floor under her seat at the table. And, you know, there's a couple of plates sitting next to the kitchen sink that haven't been put in the dishwasher yet. And it, it just got got into my brain. I was like, this <laughs> needs to be gone. So I spent, you know, a few days just making sure the place is clean. So, yeah, mm. having that minimal just not having stuff looking you in the face really helps me focus and do my job it's a good way to put it yeah Mm. my family has been on a journey of minimalism for three generations now wow yes so away from minimalism away from slowly (laughs) no we're a family of chronic hoarders um not the crazy have every newspaper ever printed in a pile (laughs) in the corner and never throw anything out um but in the sense of this is something i could use later for my grandfather that was probably out of the time when that was a real necessity they were a particularly wealthy Mm. family so if you could hold on to something and use it again that was important but when he passed away uh maybe 15 years ago now um it took my family 10 years to clear through his sheds wow there was just stuff on stuff on stuff on stuff that he had accumulated for years and so when when my family moved down to Tassie 10 years ago, we went through the same thing of like, well, what do we actually need? And so I feel like over the last three generations, we've sort of gone through this, like, what does it mean for us to have things when we need them, but not to hoard them? Um, and I think uh, it has gotten better. I still lean on the side of having things that I would use, um, but yeah, I'm much more willing to throw things away and to sell things i think that's probably more in part though because of the consumerization and availability of resources that we have now i have a fairly good job that pays me fairly well so i i can quite easily go out and buy a new paint tin if i need new re-procure things yes um so i probably would do that as a way of 
avoiding to do it. I, I'm not sure, I feel like if if we were taken back and I was around in the early 1800s, oh, late 1800s, early 1900s, I would I would definitely have a lot more stuff. Totally. And look, minimalism is a luxury, mm. isn't it? Like, mm. basically, you see all these minimalists and then you'll see them in their videos on YouTube and you'll look at the couch. It's like a $3,000 couch. <laughs> yeah. You know? You a $3,000 watch. Exactly. They've got an epic watch and it takes a lot of different, a lot of very expensive technology to replace lots of smaller, inexpensive mm. technologies. True. Might have a, an old digital camera, an old flip phone or whatever. You know, these are the really cheap ways to go. Or you can have a $700 iPhone. You yeah, know what I'm saying? That's a cheap iPhone, man. It's yeah, pretty good. True. Very good iPhone. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I don't know if I discussed this in the other minimalism episode. I think the minimalists who are... Um, I started reading their blog maybe five years ago. Mm. They had a rule. I'm not sure. It's two numbers, the 10-10 rule or the 20-20. They were effectively saying, if you can replace an item for under $20 in under 20 minutes, throw it out. And what the guy said was, that allowed me to throw out over 2,000 things, and then the next two years, I spent 60 bucks or so. Yeah, okay. So he's saying, I effectively, I, I, I lost, I got rid of so much stuff and only had to use, only had to actually rebuy something three or four times. Mm. I don't, again, I'm not sure I, I go with that anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it's an interesting thing that, that, that depression era, depression era mm. sort of, but what if I need it? I think it really does depend on your situation because there can't be a blanket rule. As you say, they replace it in 20 minutes but is a big, is a key yeah, in yeah. that. So although you live in a house that you own in Glenorchy yeah. um, and you have a shed and you can keep stuff um, and you're planning to stay there for a while, you, you could keep stuff, but at the same time, you could also then go and replace something really easily. Um, and I was just thinking as you guys were talking then that Lucinda and I uh, are going to be pretty extreme in our minimalism when we move to Sydney. We're getting rid of everything except our kitchen stuff our clothes and our computer stuff yeah well yeah and we're, and we're packing that in my mum and dad's bus and our car we're driving to sydney and then we're going to buy everything on gumtree we're going to sell all our stuff here mm. on gumtree buy it all up there mm. and uh, that's going to be fun because i'm kind of like michael i i tend to err on the side of holding on to something it's been a big deal for me to get used to just throwing boxes for stuff out. Like I see you've got oh, the oh, you've yeah. got the box for the microphone over there. Yep, that's where the microphone lives. It lives I, that, in the box. That would be me. That would be me. I would yep. keep the box for something. Oh, Ruth has been the biggest for, judge of my box keeping. Particularly for resale value. Yeah, but um, but I just tossed out four boxes yesterday for things. I'm like, I've had this for five years. I'm not mm. going to sell it. I use it all the time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck yep. the thing. It was, it was more so a thing as well when I used to move a lot. That I could throw everything back into its original box. Uh, it just stacks nicely. Oh yeah, and yeah. then it was in its box. That's true. And that box is clearly labelled with what's inside it because the company did that for me. That's true. Um, but yeah, now that I'm fairly well settled, it doesn't happen very much anymore at all. Yeah. So that's I think I think the nugget, the underline, the sort of big idea is the essentialism is important because it's about time we started asking. We we started being intentional about this. And it goes for the way we use our phones, our laptops, our stuff. We've, been, we've come from thousands of years of history where you would get as much as you could and that would basically be enough. Whether that be food, whether that be stuff. Or it whether, wouldn't be enough. Or it wouldn't be enough. Yep. And you'd We're, keep everything because yeah. that wouldn't be enough. 
Yeah, or or say <laughs> entertainment or anything like this. Mm. Even even twenty years ago, if you didn't have the VHS cassettes of something, mm. you had to you had to watch NCIS one night at seven thirty on a Monday. Yeah, and then you wanted to watch it again. Yeah. That's next week. Um, but now we've really reached a stage where you can have basically as much of anything as you want. Yeah. So there are no longer any boundaries set for you. The TV is now no longer saying you watch one episode every week at this time. Now it's saying you watch as many episodes. You can as chunk you through like. two seasons in one evening mm-hmm. if you want to. <laughs> yep. And there's, there's no limit set for us. Mm. So I think we need to actually man up a little bit here and set mm. some limits for ourselves. And that comes back to the freedom piece. Yeah. Freedom and limitation. I think the, the real money going forward will be around the idea of a, a community and how communities come together to share resources. Because at the moment, I don't see a lot of that in the Australian context. We're very, each mm. household is sufficient for itself. Yeah. And even the idea of going to a neighbor's house to borrow an egg would scare most people these days. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, it would have been like the normal commonplace. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's going to be where the real money is as, as, as we realise what this idea of individualism has brought us to. Yeah. The idea of shared community resources will become, I hope, more important, not because it, we need to share the resources in order to have them, but because we realise there's something intrinsically valuable about sharing. Totally. Mm. I think this will be something that, Lord willing, starts in the church is modelled, is seen to be attractive, and the church reforms the culture. Wouldn't that be great? Guys, look, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us on this journey into maximalism. Essentialism. Essentialism. (laughs) Not (laughs) anti-minimalism. Pro kind of minimalism. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, keep living the dream. It's been real.